Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. This is another episode in the Sermons of Karl Barth. And I'm just going to begin uh, with reading a little bit of the commentary on this sermon that I'm going to bring to you today from Karl Barth, which actually took place on Easter 1917, April 8, 1917. The text is from Colossians 2.15. William Willimon says of this sermon uh, in his commentary on it, he says that Bart said that as he worked on Romans during 1917, he could almost hear the sound of the guns booming away in the north. Amidst the wreckage, disillusionment, and gloom engendered by war on Easter, Bart stands and announces triumph. There is no hope for human predictability or progress. That failed 19th century project leads to the wretchedness of Verdun and the Marne. Such vain human hopefulness withers before the grand victory of God in the resurrection. And Willimon also uh, mentions Stanley Hauerwas in a great Stanley Hauerwas quote. He says, as Stanley Hauerwas has said, the most tragic day in our nation's history was not September 11, 2001, but rather September 12, when we responded to a grave act of criminal injustice, not with hope for or expectation in the triumph of God, but whether with unprecedented military force. It's the only means of a transcendence available to a people who no longer believe that God is not only loving, but also ultimately victorious. As Bart preached the triumph of God in Easter, guns boomed in the distance, signaling the frustration, the doom, and the lie of any possibility of human triumph. So today, as I bring this sermon just imagine hearing the guns of war in the background as Bart preaches this Easter sermon. The sermon from Colossians 2.15. I think you're going to find that this is a beautiful sermon and it is a beautiful way of expressing Easter even in the midst of not seeing the resurrection hope necessarily because of the guns that are blasting outside. Um, maybe not literally at this moment of preaching, but they certainly were times where they could hear it. So imagine the hope of Easter against that backdrop. Imagine that bombs are falling near you at any moment, and you have the task to preach a sermon on the resurrection and the power. So here is the sermon from Karl Barth, April 8, 1917. The passage is Colossians 2.15. Christ has led out the rulers and those with power and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. Today, we may all celebrate a triumph. As spring will presently draw us out of our living rooms and kitchens into the fields, gardens, and woods, where the warm sun will give us a feeling of wellness, so also the loving God now calls us out of all the houses of our opinions and thoughts and prejudices, our cares, sadness, and anger. So the loving God now draws us down from the high horse of our points of view 
and converts these self-formed ideas of ours like one might turn an old coat inside out and hang it to let it air. So the loving God leads us beyond our narrow doorways into the street so that we can see the heavens and each face the other. God says to us, now let us celebrate, now leave everything you can do and see what I can do. See what I have done and accomplished while you were busy with figures and studies, arguing and getting angry, crying and sighing. See what I have done and accomplished while you, living your lives in utter seriousness, put knowing expressions on your faces, spoke smart judgments, and threw up your hands to give them emphasis. Now look what has happened in the meantime and rejoice. Christ is risen. This is Easter what God has done. While we were human beings, ran our own ways with our own hard, thick heads, while we, with our little hostilities and foolishness, soured life for ourselves and others, while we worshipped mammon and waged war and suffered distress in this dark world, a world full of questions, enigmas, and difficulties, this is Easter, that in the midst of all that, on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And now we are invited to share a little in this and to be glad in the great joy of God in heaven. In the Bible it is called a triumph. Do you know what a triumph is? In olden times when a general conquered an enemy that threatened a whole city, at his return a triumph was prepared for him. An honorary arch was built. As, for example, the one that can be seen today in Rome that was built for the emperor Titus when he conquered Jerusalem. Through the streets and under the bear of trumpets, the victor marched in a glorious procession. And after him we were led out to use the words of Paul in our text, the enemies, rulers, and those with power, disrobed of all their royal magnificence, stripped of weapons, now only humble witnesses to the victor's glory. Once so high, mighty, and dangerous, now they are the docile subjects of the one who mastered them. Perhaps beside them were also led out wild animals from the conquered lands, bears, lions, or wolves, or a proud elephant with its long tusks, all chained and controlled, unable to harm anyone. And these were followed by the general's exhilarated soldiers. So the general processed in his home city, in his triumph together with all his heroes, all the finest proofs of his deeds were just those captives defenseless rulers and those with power. The now tamed wild animals made a public example before the whole people for their joy and sport. Then all who, could, all who could crowded the streets, and a great jubilation surged around the victor and rose to heaven, honoring the one who had prevented and overcome the danger that threatened. That is Easter. God has done all that in Christ by awakening him from the dead. The resurrection was the issue of the great battle to which Christ had gone up to Jerusalem. Hostile kings now stripped and made a spectacle. Wild animals that now children can play with. What opposed him has been cast down, mastered, finished, no longer dangerous, and now in joy shown publicly. They are no longer enemies, but now subjects and witnesses of his victory, servants of his glory and all the people may join in this joyful celebration. Now is not the time for frowning and brooding, grumbling and scrutinizing, vexing ourselves and others, for there is nothing more against us but all 
all is for us. Oh, there was so very much against us. Actually, everything before this victory of Jesus Christ. What a remarkable, strange, sad world was against us. The world. The world that is not God's world, but only that of human beings. It seems to have everything one could want, but in reality it lacks just what is most necessary and most beautiful. It has no meaning, no reason, no love, no foundation, no purpose and aim, no origin, no hope. For simply everything in this human world, even its best, its most beautiful and truthful, turns with such malice and so accusingly and dangerously against human being. The human being is pressed from all sides, harassed by strange and frightful things, and has no knowledge of whence they came. And the more seriously a person deals with life, the more intense a person is in thought and speech, the harder a person struggles. Then all the greater do those ghosts become until exhausted and saddened, the person lays down, down one's weapons and submits to the ghosts and their might. With a faint smile and with wiser experience, one resigns to the fact that there is nothing complete or perfect on earth. We try to learn and do what is good without God. And the dry finger of morality points to us accusingly. You must be good, but you are not. We look within ourselves without God. And the thundering word frightens us. You are sinners. We want to work, earn, use our abilities, call something our own without God. And there looms up before us modern capitalism, King Mammon, enveloping us in his claws and making us his sad, beleaguered servants. We want to know the truth without God. And the dark ghost of experience or scientific thought rises up against us and with a sullen, mocking face begins to tell us about unalterable economic conditions, about human nature always being the same and a little too closely related to the animal, and about laws of nature to which we are subjected, and that must take their course. We want to know the last and deepest things, that which really rules our world, and to understand how all is connected without God. And we encounter a long, hard series of bad, hard, empty words full of thorns and poison, all turned against us and all humanity. Words like fate, historical necessity, struggle for existence, accident, dependencies willed by God, yes, all that. We wish to live with and be good to our fellow human beings without God. And between us and them emerge, like the stones of an insurmountable wall, the differences of position and class, of people's religions, parties, standpoints, education, character, and view of life. We want to love and honor our home and the people of our country without God, but there are borders on our maps. And with those outside our borders, we are noxious, mistrustful, hostile, and call one another German, French, or Swiss, and in doing so, separate ourselves from one another. We want to think about the end of our earthly outer existence without God, and must see the repulsive picture of death that has nothing to say to us, but nothing finished. Take care, take care, frail little flower, as painters of all times have painted that picture with such remarkable preference for the subject and devotion to the task. 
We want to believe in God, pray to God, be Christians, but without God. One can do that too. Yet what we hold in our hands is a religion that intoxicates, a kind of chloroform, but no real comfort, no serious help. Instead, we hold a religion that adds to the ten enigmas of life a hundred more and drives us from one disquieting thought to the next, from one unanswerable question to the next. We want, oh, all that we human beings will wish and want without God. And ever again we come up against a concealed enemy who seems to be hiding, waiting for us, and then triumphantly jumps upon us as if saying, So you have fallen into my trap. And as we try to get away from our enemy, we fall into the jaws of another. Freeing ourselves here, we are bound there. Thinking to have found a solution on one side, things get tangled up on the other side. As the prophet Amos once terribly but truthfully described it, as if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Once again, the more earnestly and intensely we try without God, the more determinedly we fend off the enemy and try to punch a hole in the wall of our prison without God, all the more certainly do we become the booty of the enemy, and indeed so much so that we often are tempted to call those persons fortunate who do nothing, who are indifferent and superficial, who take nothing seriously because they never experience anything of real life. Yes, as if among all those invisible animals that surround us, we could do nothing, as if indifferent, superficial stupidity were not the worst deception with which we can deceive ourselves. All those are the rulers and those with power, that are arrayed against us in the world, which is only the world of human beings and not the world of Christ. But this world is actually no longer, but was, when? When Christ had not yet fought and won. Where? Before the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here the Easter message, this world is no longer. A new world has broken in, as on the first day of creation the old has passed away. Christ is risen. Joy to the mortals round whom the pale, creeping, ruinous privations entwine. For Christ has led out the rulers and those with power and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. How has he conquered these enemies of human beings and placed them in his service? Seemingly he has done nothing at all. He has not done it by demonstrating to human beings either good or evil, nor has he founded a school for their enlightenment and education. He has been neither a reformer nor a revolutionary. He has not been zealous for the faith in opposition to unbelief, and even less for the church against the unchurched. He has neither brooded over problems nor come up with a new and ingenious solution. He has not proclaimed a way to live according to nature, nor preached world peace, nor even founded a new religion. And yet he has done more than all that. He knew and willed only one thing, but everything was in this one thing. He proclaimed one word, God. He had and needed one power, the power of God. He expected one action for his life and for the future, the action of God. He wanted to know about only one key to the enigmatic locked doors of the world. 
He risked and believed and did only one thing. What was new in Jesus was only this word, this power, this hope. God. With penetrating vision, he saw what we do not see, that God is really new for the world, not someone long since known and used to. We have thought of everything there is to think about God, but not of God. We have talked about everything there is to talk about, but never has our talk been about God. We have risked and done everything there is to risk and do, but we have not believed in God. This new living God whom the world and we lack and of whom we hardly have the faintest inkling, Jesus had this living God. Moses and the prophets desired, honored, obeyed, and cried out to God, but Jesus had this living God. God was in him. He was called God Father and himself the Son of the Father. And only with this one reality, God He went into the conflict with the fearsome enemies of human being. But why do I say fearsome? That is only true for us. For God, nothing is fearsome. God does not fear. And therefore, Jesus was already the victor when he went up to Jerusalem to enter this conflict. Because his business was God's business. For this reason, Jesus was so completely different from all the other good, noble, and excellent persons who have ever lived. He cannot be characterized with the words we use to characterize them. Serious, solemn, grim, intense, excited, partisan, aggressive. Even though all rulers and all those with power in our human world stood against him. In the face of the enemy where pain over the distress of the world would almost tear him apart. He maintains within himself something free and full of understanding, something gracious and superior, something almost smiling within him. Think of how he spoke in the presence of Judas with his foolish disciples on that last evening, opening his heart to them. That is only one explanation that he fought for God, that he had only one goal, God's reality, lordship, and kingdom. Whoever fights for this has the victory already in advance. One need not take the rulers and those with power so very seriously. They are serious matters only if God is not. If God is, then good is no longer difficult, and evil no longer frightening. If God is, then sin no longer damned but forgiven. If God is, then what is and what can mammon, this murderer of souls, be? If God is, then what is the experience and what are the social and economic conditions of this world? If God is, then how small and unimportant become the human things that separate us from one another? How can death remain death as the bands and boundaries of the religions and the confessions of the churches break apart as our whole tiresome brain racking over the highest things happily ceases? as all of life becomes wonderfully simple. Everywhere an awakening out of the feverish dreams, everywhere confusions come to clarity. Everywhere a restful, happy overview and understanding of life. Everywhere the happy, patient certainty, I know that my Redeemer lives. And the words of the hymn, Take heart, believers. He will not long delay. Do not fall asleep. The trees are greening. 
The most beautiful shine of spring promises new life, and the evening sunset reflects from afar the beautiful day that makes the darkness fade away. Yes, if God is, oh, you are entirely right. All that is mist and smoke, fantasy and dream, if God is not. If God is not, then the world is and remains the reality we know it well enough to be, and no one needs to remind us of it. But now Jesus has fought, has fully committed himself to the reality of God. Jesus has carried the flag into the poor world that sighs under its rulers and those with power. God is, and whoever carries this flag is the victor already before the fight. That is why before Good Friday, Jesus could give his disciples the supper, my body, my blood, for many as the sign of victory, a victory into which he drew them. Therefore, Easter was... Resurrection was already on Good Friday, already in the darkest hour, as Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For that was a no, but the last and loudest, sorry, for that was not a no, but the last and loudest, yes, yes, God is. Even when the ever higher climbing waves of the world and its distress break over hope, hopeless human being, I am abandoned, but you, God, you are, you are God. And just that was the victory of Jesus. With God, he was victorious. God was victorious with him. God was stronger than human sin, for Jesus could pray on the cross for sinners. God was stronger than fate, for even in the deepest distress, Jesus did not resign to his fate, but commended his spirit into the hands of the Father. God was stronger than mammon, for in the suffering of Jesus that came to light, which holds and binds human beings stronger than the cursed, mine and yours, that separates us, stronger was the love that made him a brother among brothers and sisters. God was stronger than all the powers of the devil that hinder our brother and sisterhood, and would tear it apart for the heavenly power that Jesus always had and ever did again demonstrated, unites human beings over and beyond all forms of separation. God was stronger than death. For Jesus has in his death put death itself to death. Whoever so dies does not die even if he should die. God was stronger than religion and church for in the cross of Christ, God's win was act and life over the sacrifices, edifications, prayers, and sermons of an unsaved humanity. God is stronger. The rulers and those in power are defeated. In Christ, the victory of God has broken in over them. Resurrection, that is the word that Jesus has spoken once and for all. On the third day, precisely, this word was heard at the grave of Jesus. God is stronger. Much has been said about, and sadly also fought over, how it could have happened. How should we, with our usual thoughts about life and death, spirit and body, describe this event? How, with our usual concepts of the beyond and of miracles, this event bursts our usual thoughts, so that we, in astonishment and confusion, must seek new thoughts. That we are here at a loss is only too understandable because we have until now been at a complete loss with regard to God. In the Bible it is said so very simply, their eyes were opened. 
Yes, that is the solution of the enigma at the grave of Jesus, eyes that see how God in Christ is victorious over all that plagues, depresses, frightens, and shames us human beings. Victorious also over the last enemy, death. If God is for us, who is against us? The grave, the decay, the laws of nature. What is death if God is? That is the triumph in which we today may join. We are invited to be spectators, to view this triumph. An old world has collapsed, and in Christ a new world has opened. The old person without God has been carried to the grave. The new person in God has entered existence in Christ. How simple, how innocuous all that frightened us has become if we see it from that viewpoint. How all that frightened us is let out publicly, subjected kings, tamed beasts. We are invited to be spectators. We have heard it again, how it really is. At least it has been at least it has been said. But can we only be spectators? And can we only listen? Does God's joy over God's victory have anything to do with us? Do we want simply to return again to the old world, the world without God, to tremble and quake before the rulers and those with power? Or will something in us stir and move so that we let this new thing that has become truth in Christ also become new in us? so that we hear it in our deepest souls. Yes, God is stronger. Christ is risen. And with this, God let us move, get up, and do good deeds. Indeed, why should we not let ourselves be drawn into the victory that we celebrate today? Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace who raised Christ from the dead strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.